The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com What's going on, everybody? Hope you are having a wonderful week so far. Um, Podcast time. One and only Fergie. Uh, Fergie has been on my radar since I was extremely young. Um, he was somebody that I listened to on my radio growing up um, and then watched DJ many times. Um, and I've tracked his career over the years. And he's he's had a journey in the music industry that has gone all over the place in many weird and wonderful ways and i recently got in touch with him i think during covid um we kind of reached out to each other um and i just thought it'd be perfect for you all to listen to his story i feel like there's people that listen to this podcast that will know parts about him that didn't know the history of him um i really enjoyed this conversation i learned a lot um and I think you all will benefit massively from it. So without further ado, Fergie. <laughs> Mr. Fergie, what's cooking, man? What's happening, mate? Here we are. How's it going? It's great, great. I had a really late night last night and what were you doing? really early to talk to you. <laughs> to be Here fair, I am... Um, I've been going to bed pretty late recently during the, during the weeks. I usually have this like really strict s- schedule where I wake up at like six thirty seven. I go to the gym, go to bed by like eleven, like watch a bit of Netflix and like go to sleep. Where now I've, this week I've been just going to bed at like three o'clock in the morning and waking up at like eight, and it's just been killing me. Yeah, I um, I go to bed. I was working last night, so. <clears throat> It was really late, but if I'm not working, nine o'clock, I'm in my bed. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is truly old man time, isn't it? It's like. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. I love, I get up really early, you know, I get up maybe five thirty-six. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, the morning's a beautiful thing. You know, I love it. I love You're it. in Vegas, right, as well? I'm in Vegas, yeah. Ten years I've been here, mate. You're a brave man. You're a fucking brave man, son. Let me tell you, Vegas has got nothing for me to be scared about after what I was like in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Vegas couldn't fucking clean my shoes. <laughs> I'm safe, bro. I'm safe. 
I'm I'm honestly just more about the heat. I can't handle that. Oh yeah, the heat. It's only like maybe two months, me. You know, it's maybe like uh, two months of the year we are absolutely mm. kind of cussing, and we can't like walk our dogs. You know, like I get yeah. up five a.m. We'll walk our dogs like five a.m. because the road's too hot. Too hot, yeah. Um, you have to get those little shoes for your dogs. That's they like, have the shoes, mate. They have know. the shoes. <laughs> they have the lot, you know. And it's like, it's even funny, you know, the looks that you get from people. And it's, they look at you and they look at you sometimes. And I'm like, these people think these are like fashion accessories. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, I've got like, uh, one of my dogs is a Great Dane. He's huge. Oh, no um, way. I love Great Danes. Yeah, he's just like right there. And um, so he really, it really impacts his feet yeah. when he's out walking, you know. But when we put the shoes on him, oh my God, like, you want to see a dog do the zoomies? Like, he loves them, but he turns into like this fucking wonder horse. You <laughs> just, just have to contain him because he, he doesn't know his size. He'll run into you and bust your legs, clean off. Like, you know, Great Danes are amazing. They're huge. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. You yeah. Need- you need a big place and a big big garden for them, though, because it's well, just... He, they get walked two, two miles every day. They get walked, you know, yeah. every single day. Um, and they're, they just sleep mm. all day. <laughs> I've got a little uh, bully mix, um, and they're, like, little and large, you know. Mm. Yeah, I have uh, The Great Dean is the youngest, and oh, the really? little one the oldest. But everybody thinks the Great Dean is the little one's dad. <laughs> Okay, cool. It, Great Danes when they're puppies are like it reminds you of Scooby Doo. It's like the yeah. they're they're just like can't walk, can't do anything, fall over everywhere, knock over everything, but they're just so big. <laughs> <laughs> well, we um, we had to take them from a family because um, they had this litter, huge litter, and they didn't mm. want them. And um, we're like, okay, we'll we'll take it. Yeah, we'll take one. He was only six weeks old. Like yeah. he was wow. tiny. You're not meant to take large breed dogs from their, their no. mom until maybe maybe 16, 20 weeks. Mm. And um, so six weeks was really young and mm. it wasn't, we didn't want to take them at yeah. that age, you know, but they were like, uh, just get rid of just going to be put in the, you know, um, the dog pound. Like, okay, well, we don't want that. And we got our other guy from the dog pound. He was born in there. So. Oh, really? His mom was. His, we wanted a pit bull, and yeah. his mom was a pit bull. So when we got this other little guy, he was uh, eight weeks old, and they said mm. he was a pit bull, but he's not. He's definitely not, not, a pit bull. <laughs> not a pit bull. He has features, facial features of a of a, a staffy. Okay. He's he's long like a yeah. dachshund. <laughs> his little. He's. If you picture Lord Farquhar, <laughs> that's kind of like. <laughs> it reminds me of like a proper mutt. I love it. Just a yeah, mixture. he's he's a beautiful. I'd, I'd love a dog here. Like my parents have dogs back in the UK, um, but it's just me here. Really, I have like housemates that, but and they have a cat. But like, you can't look after a dog if you're touring everywhere unless you've got a partner yeah. or something like that. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, especially like you know. I mean, even when I. I was away for five weeks was the longest I've been away since I've been here 10 years. Yeah. I've done that to last September and it's hard, man. Yeah. You know, it's hard <laughs> like five weeks, but, um, yeah. How's, um, 
I want to go. I want to go into the history because I don't think you're ever going to remember this, and I love pulling this on people. But we, can you remember when the first time we? I don't think you actually even remember us ever meeting. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I love this orange corner in Ibiza. Holy smoke! I know. Wow. So Anytime I, orange corner was a good time. So we. We met. You were had like a a, a weekly party there. Kanye, mm, yeah. Um, and I was sixteen at the time, and I came out and played for Jamie Gittins. Wow! And then the year after, when I was seventeen, Robin Chapel was the resident. And then the year wow. after that, you stopped doing the residency, but then I took on the residency when I was eighteen. No way. Yeah. So that's Whoa. that was the first interaction. And then also <laughs> the year I was resident was when Ruben Keeney was over and kind of was doing his little thing as well, aka rebuke for anybody that's listening. Yeah, yeah, Ruben, yeah. Wow, that's I love hearing stuff like that. That's, that's a long time what? ago, man. That would have been fifteen years ago. Yeah, two thousand. No, no, longer than that. I was 16, so, and I'm 31 now, so 17, 16 years ago. God damn. That's mental. That was your Radio 1 days. Wow. Radio 1, even that sounds like a million years ago. I know, right? And it was nearly a million years ago. Yeah. 2007, I came off there, 2006. How many years ago was that? Well, we're 2022 now. Like 18 years, is it? Yeah, that, no 2006, I was 16. Wow. That's a long time. It's a long time. <laughs> so I guess I I I know so much about your history because like <laughs> I... You can film me and on some more. Well, I don't know that much about your history, but like I grew up listening to you on radio and kind of just being around. Um, and I kind of want to go into that because I don't think many people know much about that, and I don't know if you know much about that by the sounds of it. But <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want to ask, I'm in, I'm yep, it's all all, all on the table. Man. So I kind of I kind of want to go back to the beginning. I I I know it's kind of cliche, but like I want to really kind of I think a lot of people will really enjoy it if they kind of learn how it all started and kind of where your progression, because you've had a really, really interesting career and it's kind of a career that isn't the usual route that DJs take and producers take. And I think it's really interesting. And I think it also goes to show that there's other ways into this industry than what the cliche ways at this moment in time to do. And I think people will, will learn from that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely has been um, a roller coaster. Exactly. Which, which I think, it, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but all of our careers are a roller coaster. Hmm. But, because of social media and because of the way we and our teams kind of present ourselves, it looks like it's one straight line and it's not, mm. it never is. It's never mm. one straight line to where you're at now. 
And I think mm. a lot of people that come into the industry now and uh, tr- uh, trying to be in the industry think that it's one straight line. Uh, I think that's an incredible point. You know, the industry that they're even trying to be in is not mm. even the industry mm. for most part. You know, there's, there's, it's very kind of uh, misinformed because a lot of people post all the nice stuff. Exactly. And it's a, it's a small part mm. of a, of a, you know, I'm not saying the rest isn't nice, yeah. but the rest, there's a lot of work involved, mm. a lot of blood, sweat and tears, a lot of rejection mm. and a lot of kind of soul searching because, you know, when, when, when I love the point you made in the carnage interview, you know, you talked about uh, the corporate world mm-hmm. and the difference between the corporate world and kind of the world that we live in yeah. and it's emotional. And I thought that was a beautiful point you made. And, and, and that really got me thinking as well, like three or four weeks you done that. I was like, wow, it's such a, such an insight, you know, because often, we all know we love music. We all know we listen to it with our hearts, but we don't often connect the kind of the dots yeah. in that same way that we are working in a, in the business. You know what I mean? And you're making choices through um, the eyes of the young, excited DJ. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. And it may not be the right choice for your career long term, <laughs> but you're like, oh, just want to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's uh, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing, you know. So, well, but I, that point you made was interesting. Man. No, because I, like, I I think that's the thing is like, I I I know you are one hundred percent on with me with this, but like ha- when you started DJing and producing and kind of doing your thing wherever you were. And then you have like a crew around you when you when you start, right? And then the crew kind of whittles down and falls off and goes get, get like they all get proper jobs. And then you find another crew and then they do the same. And it kind of for a long time and it's it was always me like with that one track mind of like, okay, this is where I need to get to. How the fuck do I get there? With everybody around me, although they're all still close friends of mine but like all just giving in and going fuck it i need a real job i want to pay my mortgage i want to do all of that people don't see that side of it yeah and part of you if you're being honest i know certainly with me you know part of the way through my career part of me was thinking fuck i wish i could do a real job Mm, i wish that you know what would it be like i've never done a real job in my life Mm. i started teaching in 1992 wow you know i've never i've never i've never had that you know i remember sitting on the beach you know being absolutely wasted crying my eyes out and and being very lonely and Mm. very sad and touring the world and I always used to call my mom and, you know, I'm like, you know, I wonder if I could be like, do like forklifting. That would be, yeah. I would be, oh, I'd like to do something like that, you know, just because again, the kid and me getting to drive something around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Happy days. Um, but yeah, obviously the, the, uh, the desire to be a DJ is never left me mm. or if it has not left me for long regardless of the music yeah you know? sometimes it's been the music that's been the 
the, the the force that's got me into the the DJ booth because for many years I found it hard being in there. Yeah, you know, um, but it's always been the joy of DJing, and um, that's what's kept me. Yeah, like thirty years this year. It's a long yeah, time. it's a long time, man. Nineteen eighty two, then start no, DJ. 92, 92. 90, I was going to say 82. That's fucking, you're old then. You're not that old. <laughs> 92, 92. I've still got my original stuff here. Uh, have you really? Uh, that's my turntables I bought. Wow. Yeah. 1200s. That mixer's mixer Tony give me. Tony V obviously mm. changed my life. Um, does He gave me that on Christmas Day, 1996. That was wow. his mixer. Uh, it was the first Newmark mixer they brought out with the sampler. Yeah. And it was like, oh, my God, this is. Yeah, I, there's nothing. You know, I've had all the material things you could want in your life. I've had it all. I've lost mm. them. And, you know, the only two things I've ever kept is my turntables and the mixer. You know, I've. Yeah, it's the only things I've, I've traveled. I think that's I think I think that's a. Uh, kind of given that you're never going to get a proper job, mate. If, yeah, if, if those right. those two are the because <laughs> that's the first thing that everyone sells. It's the first thing that everyone sells. I even I haven't really had a DJ setup but in at home for years, and I've recently just got one. Um, but during COVID, I found my old decks. I used to have the like uh, Stanton STR eight one fifties, and I I had to chuck them out because they stopped working. Um, but yeah, it is so nice just to like see the old setup again and be like, fuck yeah, I'm a DJ. You know, and do you know what's nice for me is, you know, I used to polish these um, every Sunday. I took every, <laughs> the, the needle head off, you know, I took all the weights off and I just, I polished them every Sunday, the, the mixer, you know, and I used to, you know, clean all my records mm. and it was just that. That passion that we had, yeah. you know, that obviously is there in different ways now. You know, I'm certainly not polishing them every Sunday night. Um, sorry. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's that passion, that excitement that you had when you were starting, you know, and you're yeah. starting off and you're you're so excited, but you've only got three records in your record legs. And, you know what I mean? And you can't mix any of them. <laughs> and you listen to them over and over again. Just like so wear them out. Yeah. 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 So depressing. Like my very first turntables were the all in one coffin. Okay. Yeah. Turntables. The Cloud Nines, they mm. were called. And it just had a little slot for a a, a, a light. Yeah. It had two faders. I had speed control was 33 and 45 BPM. Um, I had to rip a part of my cigarette box to put it in so they get a little bit of speed variation not that it helped the only thing i could do was do a spin back and then put the other track on yeah every time you're on a spin back the belt came off and you was gonna say it. Off and put the elastic band back on and then start again that's belt driven for you yeah phenomenal but phenomenal experiences yeah you know and didn't have a clue what we were playing back then mm. you know like i'm playing moby records at you know, 45 and they should be 33, like just all over the place, yeah. you know, trying to figure out how to connect all this mm. stuff, you know, because all you're listening to is 
DJ mixtapes. Yeah, working out. Then, I was like, yeah, it was like the hardcore rave. I was big in the coxie. Yeah, the little yeah. like plastic. Can you remember the plastic folders you would get, uh, and you'd like open <laughs> oh, them up, and, and there'd be like four <laughs> tapes in there. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hilter skit, like all of it. Yeah. Have you it seen that? Like... Have you seen seen that meme when it's a tape cassette and a pencil? And it says, you know, you're old if you know the relationship between a pencil and a tape. 100%. There was many of hands and head moments. Yeah. Like, wow. But them moments were incredible. You know, it's like we really had, you know, you, and I think maybe that's what people miss out on a bit today. Yeah. Even by holding that tape or holding that record, you felt yeah. that was your wee slice of the scene. Mm. You were a part of it because yeah. you had this. You know, it was a beautiful thing. And it was like, you know, it's all worn out and you're passing it around your friends yeah. and they're like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? You know, and it's and and I think that part of the the joy for me anyway mm. would be, you know, what you hear and only just playlists and stuff like that now. And you're not, it's just a little bit different, right? I it's think I think the uh, I think the value of music has gone down massively, and mm-hmm. I think uh, there's pros and cons to the streaming services. And but I think by the, sh- the digital era has devalued music to a wild level where it's so throwaway, <laughs> where the consumer doesn't realize how much effort goes into it purely because of the way it's delivered to them. And when we used to buy vinyl, even CDs, like for me, like I was, I was grew up in the CD era as well. And like buying your CD, like with the hard, hard earned money and like putting it into your CD player at home. And I would listen it. I would literally sit in my bedroom and just listen to the same CD. Like I feel sorry for my parents because they listen to so much garbage, (laughs) (laughs) but it's like, you just had that physical form and and i think like the artwork i remember like reading and studying the artwork and like the the like pulling pulling the 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 cover out and like open it up and then there's like a poster or there's something else or there's the lyrics and it's like you don't get that nowadays with what we have Mm -hmm. yeah there was definitely that kind of emotional more of and i don't want to say more because i'm always kind of you know, especially when I came to Vegas, I had to look at who I was and what I'd done in a different way. Totally. You know, it was like I had to look at the scene as a different thing. You know, I had to actually, when I came here, transport myself back in time mm. and look at it like, okay, how can I look at this scene in Vegas with a fresh mind? Yeah. When look at a lot of these new people that are coming to Vegas as grassroots yeah. and look at them and think, this is their first time in a nightclub. Mm-hmm. I need to remember how I felt the first time totally. I was in a nightclub. And it's the same thing for them. So my point in that is I try, and I forget sometimes, but I try and remember, okay, not to say that it was better when I was younger mm. or better now, but just try and point out maybe the differences in what we got totally. from it. And like you're saying, like, you know, you had the more of a, an emotional connection to uh like the cds that we bought that yeah. we had in our possession and you know the kids today don't really have that but they also don't want that well exactly 
and I you think know, that's they, this is the thing is like it's easy for us to be like sound like old men going oh it's better back in our day but it what that these kids it the classic example for me is can you remember growing up and your parents listening to music and you'll be like what the fuck are they listening to and <laughs> they're talking about them that music is like the fucking dog's bollocks yeah where and then we we do the same thing about music back from the 90s totally. and the kids will look at us and go what the fuck are they listening to <laughs> because it's actually pro- product produce wise it's the worst music on earth but that's why it's so beautiful it's like there's nothing's EQ'd it's yeah. like the singing I, I let my wife hear it she's like that, that, that singer's like not even in key and I'm like <laughs> and um, you know it's just kind of it's all over the place in a certain way and I had this conversation with Shadow Child mm. and what he, because what he brought out and the realization he had was, when producers were making records in the early nineties, yeah. and it sounded like there was maybe three different breakdowns in these records. Mm-hmm. So uh, Shadow Child was like, "Well, the reason it sounds like that is because these producers were listening to mixtapes, yeah, and they're making records based on what they thought the record was on the mixtape, but it wasn't. Oh, it was a mix." Wow. I never even saw that. Isn't that beautiful thing? Yeah. So you're listening to Coxie, you're like, okay, this breakdown, bam, bam, bam. And then you have a totally different hook yeah. for another breakdown, and it's a fucking mix. But these rave records, they didn't wow, know. I never even thought of that. They didn't know. And I was like, wow, yes, that's what it is. And it's like, I always just thought, okay, a guy's gone into the studio in his bedroom. You know, he's came up with all these different sounds and he's like, okay, there's three tracks here, but fuck it. Like, I'm <laughs> just so excited. I'm just so excited. I'm yeah, going to put yeah. it all into one track. Hopefully somebody will play it. Because we've all been in the studio and we come up with something we try and sometimes fit it all into the same track. And I was talking to Shadow Child about it, Simon, and I'm, he said that and I was like, yeah, yeah, wow. that's what it was. That's what it was. You know, they were so listening to these, listening to these mixes and just not understanding that it was different records. And yeah, and it just shows you the connection and how that even took our scene from the DJ. How important is the DJ? Yeah, because the mix creating a different vibe Mm. is so important, you know, and it just shows again, highlights again the role of the DJ putting music together. Because for a long time, the DJ wasn't, it wasn't about the DJ. Yeah. When it started, it was just about people escaping. What, can you remember when it became about the DJ? I mean, I think when it was really not about the DJ, if you look, look at a lot of old footage. Yeah. You know, if you look at the early kind of raves, late 80s, and 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 the inter- interesting thing about that is, people aren't even dancing in groups; they're dancing on their own. Yeah, everybody's yeah. got their own style of clothes. They're yeah. all wearing different stuff. Okay, everybody might be wearing a Stussy T-shirt and and stuff like that, but they're all got their own little twist on it. Yeah, yeah. And no one's facing the DJ. No. You know, it it was really kind of mid early 90s early 90s really you know early 90s 
where people have really changed from the from the old footage that I've watched. Mm. Anyway, you know. Have, um, have you seen the documentary Maestro? Um, no. About New York. Mm-hmm. I'll send it to you. Oh, out. I have. I have. It's on Resident Advisor. Oh, is, is it? Res- yeah, Resident. The Resident Advisor uh, producer or something. No, like that. it's like Some- a super old documentary on the new on. I like the power. I'll send it to you. Like anyway, but that yeah. that was late eighties that it ca- kind of came out, and it was like Paradise Garage, The Loft. Um, it was based on all of the New York, and back then it it. I feel like that's when it. It was like uh, Larry Levan and think and Frankie and all of those guys where even Mancuso, yeah, when yeah. it first started to like their names first started to be like, oh, we're gonna go see this person. Um, mm. But mm. I think that took time for people to be like, I have to go and watch this person DJ. I think it was before like we're just going to this party because we know it's gonna be great music and we can just be ourselves. Mm. Were you ever in the free raving days? Did you ever? Did you ever used to go free partying? In the, in uh, so I got the tail end of that. Yeah, you know, like um, nineteen ninety one was when I first started going to like school discos and taking yeah. acid, and you know, um, wait, so, you were taking acid at school? Well, I was selling acid at school. <laughs> so <laughs> I left school when I was twelve. Um, Jeez, son. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was good times. So I caught the tail end of it. So in Belfast, it was like re- uh, free raves in this place called Crumlin up in the country. And one of my friends used to take me up there. He's an older man, Davy Thompson. He used to take me up there. And What was it like growing up in Belfast then? Oh, man, unbelievable. Yeah. It was, it was beautiful. You know, it was scary. Mm, yeah. You know, I'm a Protestant. I grew up in a Protestant neighborhood. Yeah. Um, back then, people didn't really... Catholics, Protestants didn't really mix that much. No. Um, but the Reeves was the first place they did. that I that happened. Yeah. You know, the first Reeve I went to was Carl Cox wow. at Hellraiser. And it was a bomb scare. Everybody had to get out. He said there had been a bomb planted in there. Everybody had to get out. We all got kicked out. I had a, 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 a rap of speed in me and a half a trip. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> Everybody has to get out. Everybody's panicking. We go outside. Everybody's dancing on top of the armored cars. Jesus. I don't know if you've been to Belfast. You've been yeah, to Belfast. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. You've seen the armored cars in Belfast. Everybody. You know, yeah. that's just how they roll. Everybody's dancing on top of them. People have got their car stereos on. The music's pumping. And we didn't think we were going to get back in. And a couple of hours later, they let us back in. Guy comes on the microphone, Stefano. Belfast, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. Make some noise for Carl Cox. Oh my god, that moment! Man, was I just like, got goosebumps, literally. Unbelievable, and it's like you know everybody's hands in the air. You know what I mean? Glue bags, and you know they got their glue bag in one hand. <laughs> Brilliant! But you know oh. they were the moments that were kind of um, really seen unison, and, mm. and you know everybody loves each other when they're on the on the ease yeah. as soon as the ease wear off everybody's right but Belfast was beautiful it was yeah. scary yeah. you know especially for people of my age because we didn't really we didn't really know no. what was going on yeah you know I never hated Catholics I had Catholic friends and, yeah. and you know but 
it was just a, an, an overall thing that was kind of lingering around. And um, I was fortunate I didn't get caught up in it. Yeah. Uh, I left home when I was 14, first of all. Did you leave Ireland when you were? I left Ireland when I was 16, but I left my hometown, Larne, and went to Belfast when I was 14. Yeah. And I used to play in this place in Belfast. I was DJing, I was playing this place on a, on a Saturday night. And at the end of the night, they would all come marching in with the flags all the regalia, everything. And I had to play God Save the Queen and you had to stand up straight. Really? And it was very scary, yeah, very scary place because very, very serious. Yeah. You know, well, and... Um, well, people have died. A lot of fucking people have died because of that. A lot that. of people have died. A lot of people have died, you know. A lot of people have... a lot of heartache, you know. And, you know, and I don't want to... I don't want to play it down in any no. way because obviously it's a huge part of our culture, both sides. And ultimately we're all one. And that buzz that it gave us and release it gave us when we went to the raves, mm. I would not want to grow up anywhere else. No. It was wow. an unbelievable. Our culture back home, pff, you couldn't fucking, you just, there's nothing like it. I I I still feel there's something with Ireland now with that same it still lingers in in the air and Irish rave harder than anyone. Mm, I think so. Like <laughs> I think so. No they do. It's like I've I've only played a few shows over there and every time they that it's something very special. They're just mad bastards man. Yeah. I like I've been everywhere. You know, not I haven't been everywhere. I've been lucky enough to travel a lot of places. Around. Yeah, and you know, I've I've never I've never seen anywhere like back home. But there's kind of Belfast and Glasgow, mm. and that is like holy fuck. I mean, if you kept the club the club open for a week, they would still be motherfuckers would like no problem. I've never played in Glasgow. No. I've always wanted to, but I've never played. Beautiful place. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Like huge fucking history in this game. Like, mm. you know, huge. Fuck, I don't know how long, like, uh, color, what colors 27 years I've been going. Pressure. Yeah. Uh, fuck knows how long that's been going. Mm. I mean, Slam, Orden, um, the guy's just been killing. It's, 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 it's interesting because Belfast and Glasgow, for me, I've been to Glasgow and obviously Belfast, they're very similar cities. There's, mm. there's struggle there. And mm. I find even, like, I live in Detroit and there's struggle here. Like, you, you feel it walking around and you, and you see it. Mm. And I find cities that struggle, that have been through it, like, their parties are just always the best. It's raw. It's yeah. raw emotion, man. You know. Well, I think. I think. I, th I think it's. It is one hundred percent that, and it's also it's like, they have a reason to escape. They need mm. to escape their everyday life, and I'm not saying that everybody that lives in Belfast, everyone that lives in Glasgow, everyone that lives here has a shit life. It's not. The, it's not the case, but mm. they're depressing cities. But with a depressing city becomes so much joy and happiness on the like underline of the underbelly of the city. Mm. And it kind of brings communities together. 
Yeah, I mean, they've changed a lot. You know, Belfast yeah. and Glasgow so are very vibrant now. There's a lot of mm. new industry, a lot of new business coming into these I, places. I mean now. more about the history because that, that, I feel like the history of these cities just all, will always be there and it will always yeah, underline everything. Harsh places yeah. to be. You know, very, I mean, you know, in Belfast, you couldn't even really go into the city centre. You know, no. I remember as a kid, my mum would say, you know, like bombs going off all yeah. the time. You know, every when I when I did go to school for that short period of time, mm. I come home and you would be watching the news and be shootings every day. Yeah, you know. So, um, you know, my my mum's friend who was dating a Catholic was a taxi driver, and you know, he was in the taxi rank, and someone just went up and Jesus, you know. So there's been there's been loads of loads of that stuff, and and. That's where the emotion comes from that, you know. It's like mm. living in real kind of crazy uh, life, you know, yeah. and that's really has always come through in the music from the 90s, I would say, because once the drugs came in place, yeah. that was the connector yeah, for everybody. Totally. That was the connector. Before that, I haven't read anything about any kind of, you know, uh, people being having it together in us, you know, so it was definitely the, um, the big E's played a part in it. I, <laughs> t- I sure. totally agree. And I, I, like, I'm not one to b- tell people to go get fucked up every weekend, but it is, it, it, it brought everyone together and it, it built a community that we all eat from nowadays because it's not necessarily like that so much now. It, it, there's other things and it's kind of, but it's grown an industry that's allowed us all to have, the best job in the world exactly listen and I've, and and i'm not advocating for people yeah, to take no, drugs totally. but it's important to give things their place and time yeah. and their importance and stuff like that and it was what it was a godsend then mm. i don't give a fuck it was a godsend then totally. it was it was it was it really was like opening a fucking i don't want to say a tube of glue because <laughs> I'm not talking about it. Was. it but yeah, well, there's plenty of that going on as well. But you know, you know, getting people together and just getting people just kind of release the kind of tension. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because everybody loves everybody, yeah. really. You know, it's like just get caught up and stuff. And well, I think that's the, this is the thing, is it? and it's like without going too deep, it's like you see what's going on in the world right now, and you're just like, fuck's sake, like, why yeah. can't people just fucking get along? Mm-hmm. Just accept, like, there's like there's and not not just Ukraine, just everything. It's just like there's there was a t- there was a time where everything feels extremely sensitive right now, mm-hmm. and. For me, you just need to fucking go and rave. <laughs> just get out and just be with people and just like, just enjoy meeting people and experience different people and listening to music and just, just chill the fuck out. Yeah, totally. You know, like really just fucking be present, man. Yeah. Just, you know, try and be you. And, yeah. you know, remember the next person's trying to be them. Mm. Exactly. They're not trying to be you, they're trying to be them. So yeah. don't fucking, you know, you don't know what the fuck's going on in their life. You don't know what's gone on. You don't know what they're trying to get over. They don't know what you're trying to get exactly. over. Just 
let people be themselves, man. You know, it's like we're all figuring this out. Yeah. Fuck, I've been DJing 30 years. I've been in this scene 30 years and I'm still discovering things that are fucking mind-blowing for me. Mind-blowing for me. You know, discovering that the scene doesn't owe me jack fucking shit. Nothing. You know, but for many years, having a chip on my shoulder. I've done this and what, you know, I've done blah, 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 blah. You know, it was like a gig last year in Vegas. I couldn't even get my name on the flyer. Yeah. I couldn't get my name on the flyer. I was a techno event here. And I said, I was, I was fucking sad as fuck. Yeah. Because we grew up, the biggest thing is, mate, when you're, you want to get your name on the flyer. Oh, 100%. It's such a big thing. And I'm saying to my wife, I don't think I'm going to do this gig. I kind of feel like I've been given a slap in the face. Mm. She said, why? I said, fuck, I've been DJing fucking nearly 30 years. And I'm fucking 13 essential mix has been on radio one for six years. I've done all, I'm, I'm, I'm reeling all this shit off of done. Yeah. Right. And she goes, well, what does that tell you? What do you mean? What does that tell me? She says, doesn't matter, love. I was like, fuck. It's fucking killer, that. So but it was beautiful. Yeah, it no, made it me is. So light. Yeah. I was like, wow, you're right. And it gave me. It, it put me like that. It put me back in a position where if you ever asked me, and if I was talking to young DJs and producers and they would ask me, what's the most enjoyable part of your career? I always said to them, the most enjoyable part of my career is the beginning. When you're trying to get your foot on the ladder, when you're trying to get your name on the flyer, yeah. you're hungry as fuck yeah. and nothing can beat that feeling. And here's me last year thinking, here I am nearly 30 years into this able to experience that again where I have to try and climb up again and I'm like I'm a lucky bastard yeah no I love that yeah and and it's also you're trying to grow up in the scene again but with all the knowledge you have from your previous which is something that when you first started out if you knew all of that knowledge you would be in a different stratosphere and I'm glad that I didn't know it. I'm like I could, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't, wouldn't change anything. Fucking hell! I listen. I, as I said, I've had it all. I've lost it all. Mm. I've fucked a lot of shit up. Yeah. And loads of scars, beautiful scars. I'm fucking more proud of my scars than anything else. I love that. You know, it's like I look back at stuff and think, fucking hell. <laughs> I'm still going. Mm. I'm still trying. You know, I'm, I'm, it's like I said to myself, I'm living the dream. What's the dream? All I wanted to be when I was a kid was a DJ. Yeah. I'm a DJ. I'm still DJing. It's amazing. Trying to figure it out. It's, it's, it's really, it's a really hard thing to do when you're in it is to self assess your situation Mm. in life. And, I can only speak for myself, but I've had it multiple times in my career where you're just like, why the fuck is this not working? Why the fuck is this not working? Why am I not in that lineup? Why is my record not going to be put number one? Why is Spotify not getting this record? Why is this happening? Why are they getting booked? Why am I only earning this much money? Blah, 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 blah. And then you catch yourself in the mirror going, Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. That's not an excuse to not work harder. 
And that's no. not an excuse to stop doing what you're doing and and wanting more and having that drive to to be more and and do more. But there's a level of where you have to be like, I'm doing it. And some people it it takes ten days, and some people it takes a thousand days. Yeah, and it's it's yeah you have to you have to have the drive. You have to have the passion. You know, it's like. Going back to that gig that I didn't get on the flyer for, it was with Rufus the Soul last year. Yeah. And I, I get it. I've played that many different styles of music. Some people were like, is Ferg going to play EDM here? Is he going yeah. to play fucking pop? Is he going to play techno? Well, is he going to play hard house? Well, what's he going to play? Yeah. Does his name fit our brand? It doesn't fit everybody's brand. Yeah. That's fine. At some point, I have to turn around to myself and look at the mirror and go, okay. Am I doing this for my ego? Am I doing this for to grow my DJ business? Or am I going to do this because I just want to be a DJ and I want to be in that environment and yeah, I want to play that music? Yeah, yeah. Okay, this is one of them instances where I get to go in this club. I'm not on the flyer. Nobody knows me. Mm. Nobody wants to fucking know me. I get to go in here. I've got no pressure, you know, and I went on at 4 a.m. and they normally close the club at uh, 5 o'clock. And they all stayed until 7 a.m. It's the longest Amazing. the club's ever been open. And there's people standing in front of me with things on their phone going, who are you? And I'm like, if I had had my name on the fire, I would ne- never have been able to have no. this beautiful moment. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Here we are a year later and I'm doing the same gig again. And I'm not on the flyer. I'm not, I don't even want to be on the flyer. Yeah. I'm doing this like same set and I'm like, this is beautiful. Mm. This is fucking brilliant. <laughs> It's amazing, but I, but I, I guess also, if you were in that situation ten years ago, do you think you, you as yourself, would be able to process it how you processed it a couple of years ago? It's hard to, it's hard to, um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, me like. A lot of this kind of asking different questions came through COVID. Mm. Like me and my wife lost, we lost everything yeah. through COVID. You know, 2019 was my, was going to be the year, like my contract for 2019 was the most money I would have earned in one year in my whole career. Yeah. We didn't earn any of it. Yeah. Like um, each year I've been here, it's been on a contract basis mm. and, um, we decided to build this huge house. It took us two years. It was our dream home. Mm. We we're going to stay there. And the studio I had was fucking unbelievable. It was like your dream. I had the, the huge modular Moog modular. Wow. I had everything. Yeah. Um, and we we fucking had to get rid of everything. Yeah. Went and lived in a caravan, mate. Yeah. Went and lived in a caravan. You know, because our life changed like that in three weeks. And I was the happiest fucking man. I was so happy. Wow. And everybody's saying to me, why are you so happy? I was like, I was finding it really hard being in the clubs. Mm-hmm. You know, since I came here 10 years ago, I was doing 225 shows a year. Yeah, that's a lot. Playing the EDM stuff, you know. So playing that music, you know, when I came here, I came here because I got to the ceiling where I could get in the techno world. There was a part where I could get to, and the gatekeepers were just not having it anymore. Yeah. They're like, Fergie, you're... Fuck off. Yeah, this is as far as you're going, mate, yeah. you know. And um, and um, 
So that's why I decided to come here. I was tired. You know, I was doing 15, 20 flights a month playing on every hole in the hedge. Yeah. You know, uh, clubs all around the place, but they weren't the clubs that I needed to be in. Totally. Like, uh, you know, I wasn't getting into your cocoons. I wasn't getting in, you know. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. I'd gone from earning thousands of fucking pounds to going and playing in pressure in Glasgow for 500 bucks. Yeah. Just to get in there. Yeah. So my life had changed dramatically and um was this was, was one, this still when you were doing radio one this is after radio oh, one okay you know radio one that kind of came to an end because you know they got me into the office and they were like you gotta go back to hard house yeah and 2003 i started really playing all techno on the show you know it really became um the main output for techno so one when radio did you one. start radio one 2001 and that was with hard house that was with Hard House. That's yeah. what got me in there. Yeah, that was what I was I was doing right then. Before that, you know, they approached me and asked me and Carl Cox to be the first ever resident DJs of the Essential Mix. Yeah. So that yeah. for me blew my head because obviously Carl was one of the first guys, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, cool. Amazing. But that's what got me in the door was um, the Essential Mixes. Then they offered me Danny Rampling's show, which blew my mind even more. <laughs> And I remember reading a comment. It was like when f- the message boards first started. Yeah. Was fucking, which was hard as fuck to yeah, read. I bet. If, if people were writing it, it meant it was true because our yeah. minds didn't really know anything. It was so, so new to us. Still the case the now. It's still the case now. I don't fucking bother about that stuff now. <laughs> like what I found from the hardship of them early days the message boards like one of the comment that stuck in my mind was when they got rid of Danny Rampling and gave me a show was why exchange a Ferrari for an escort <laughs> I love that but the stuff I used to get especially with all the Tony stuff you know Tony was dying of HIV yeah. and people were like fucking you know fuck hope Fergie dies and fucking wow. you know you know because I changed from hard house I stopped playing hard house yeah and they fucking hated me mm. so it's like the techno people hated me because I was trying to be techno the hard house people hated me because I fucking didn't want to be hard house and I'm just in here in limbo getting absolutely wasted off my head playing the all my friends that were in the DJ booth because everybody else fucking hated me at one yeah. point Jesus you know and it's like oh my god what the fuck that's a head fuck it was fucking it was so hard man yeah it was so hard and um still being a kid like mm. i was fucking 2021 you know like i went in that top 100 dj thing at seven or eight at that age there was nobody that broke through that golden circle of danny tanaglia paulo gonfo yeah. Boy slim carl cox sasha digweed diva morales frankly like all these djs and you and then there's me, and I'm like, "What the fuck is going on here?" Yeah. There's, I, I wouldn't be fit to tie these guys' fucking shoes. I couldn't tie. You know what I mean? Like these guys are like, wow. I remember yeah. going to the fucking uh, the Ericsson Music Awards, and I was in the category of best international DJ with Danny Tanagli and all. And Dan, I, I had that cover out, mixed my cover out with me lying in the bath. Yeah. And Tanagli yeah. goes, "Yeah, man, I got your uh, CD cover on my fridge." I'm like fucking hell, Jesus! Just mad shit, yeah. You know, mad shit, mad shit. Espe- you know, so, so you were in your twenties then. Twenty, yeah. Damn. 20. How I I I want to how how did that start? 
So I, I like the correlation from where did the Radio One thing start? I know we're jumping about around a bit, but where you moved to England when you were, you moved to England when you were sixteen. I met Tony when I was fifteen. I was DJing in Northern yeah. Ireland, and um, I met him. I'd been buying his records and stuff. I was playing in a place in uh, Antrim. And every time Tony played, I was like, I'm not fucking taking the night off to go and see any fucker. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I'm doing my gig. Yeah. And the third time he played, I was like, I gotta go and fucking see him. It just released the uh, 99 floor elevators hooked. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, I gotta go and see this guy. And um went and seen him and um pestered him all night, got his phone number while he's DJing, changing records. I'm like, give me your phone number. I'm like 15. <laughs> and um then um after his gig. Most of the gigs back then in Northern Ireland, they were all in hotels. Yeah. So you would do the gig, and then they would go up to the hotel room. So after the gig, uh, I carried Tony's record boxes. I got up in this hotel room because he's he's just chilling out there before he gets his flight back to London because he's yeah. going to play trade. And I'm talking to him and blah, 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 blah. And I'm telling him how long I've been DJing. And he says, oh, I see a lot of myself in you. And he's just saying all this stuff, being nice. I take my T-shirt off. I'd been in a bad car crash and my ribs are all fucked up. Yeah. I take yeah. the T-shirt off and grab his hand, start trying to get him to feel my, my chest. <laughs> he pulls his hand away and all this fucking shit. I didn't know he was gay, like. I had no idea he was fucking gay. So he's obviously fucking sat in there going, holy fuck, I'm like this fucking 15-year-old guy's fucking trying to crack onto me in the hotel room. <laughs> I had no idea. Anyway, Tony goes to the airport. I go back into the little after party underneath the the stairs and the night and the, the hotel, and I walk in and they're all like, "Whoa, here comes Fergie the faggot magnet." <laughs> <laughs> I had no clue what they were talking about. No clue. Like I never met any gay people. There's just wasn't any gay people where I came from yeah. that we knew yeah. about. There was it was just a very you know, and um, that's amazing. Yeah, I just didn't know, and then um. I used to phone Tony three times a day, yeah. every day for like a year, and he answered the phone every single time. Some cunt fucking told me uh, back in the day if you have like a of the old phone with a button on it, yeah. if you do like yeah. ten zeros, do, 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 then you dial in the number. The call doesn't cost anything. And <laughs> I was doing that every day. <laughs> then all of a sudden, I hear Robert get down these fucking stairs. <laughs> What the fuck is that? There's a fucking phone bell with fucking Tony's number on it. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Anyway, and uh, he invited me over to stay, uh, come over for a holiday. Mm. This was on his, um, and um, I remember him answering the phone one time. He said, you can't come. I was like, why? He says, uh, it won't look very good. You know, you're such, you're so young, blah, 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 blah. I was like, no, I'm, I'm definitely coming. Like, I spoke to my mum and dad and all that. Blah, blah, blah. I'm definitely, he was like, you can't come. I'm a poof and put the phone down. <laughs> so he did. And then his friend called me up and um, Alex and um, yeah, explained everything to me. And we kind of put it on hold for a bit. Then every time Tony came over to Ireland to play, then he started staying at my mum and dad's house. Oh, okay. And he got to know my mum and dad. And then he actually signed to be my guardian. Oh, no way. Yeah, so then I went to England for a week, and it was 1996, and it was during the ceasefire. Yeah, the and the ceasefire broke while I was in England, mm. and obviously Tony, looking at the news and stuff, was quite worried about it, and he was like, you know, if you want to stay, I'll look after you, and yeah. I was like, not coming home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
and uh, that's that's that was that journey, you know. And and I remember it was twentieth of June, nineteen eighty six. I went over there, and you know that week we done all we done like seven seven eight gigs in that week. Tony used to do that every week. You know, I got fucking arrested and. The lead mill in Sheffield for uh, fucking making Tony a bomb of speed out in the car. <laughs> Obviously, he sent me out to the car to get the fucking. He always would take a wee bit of speed, you know. He's doing that many gigs. I'm sat in the fucking passenger seat of his car, getting speed out. Got the fucking glove box open. Got the rizzle of paper, making it up. Some cunt opens the fucking car door and they flash the warrant card. I was like, oh fuck. <laughs> he say to me, "What's that?" I go, and I don't even know where I got this word from. He said, "What's that?" And I said. Glucose. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they search the car. They get me out of the car. They don't even lock Tony's car. They don't go into the club and tell Tony that they've taken me. They take me to the police station. They're like, how do we know you're saying, like, how do we know you who you are? Who Like, who you're saying you are? Yeah. I'm like, phone my mum. So they phone my mum. Hello, is your son here? What's his name? And blah, 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 blah. And they obviously couldn't arrest me because I was only 16. Yeah. You know, so then they eventually told Tony and he came after the gig and he has to come in all angry. Why are you taking drugs? Uh, you're getting sent straight home and all this fucking shit. You know, and um, I'm like, fuck me, yeah. I'm sticking up for you here, like. And um, yeah, got into the car and he's like, oh, thank you so much. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And then we get the we we still had like progress and Derby to do with money pennies in Birmingham to do and we had trade in London to do, mm. so it was like this whole. So my introduction, basically, sorry for going all around the place. No, no, the English it. scene was that week where it was just like everywhere match going around with fucking Tony DeV, who was at his peak yeah. at that time, and it was just was sixteen years old. Man. Yeah, that's special. Like fuck, fuck, mental, mental. So did you start (laughs) doing the rounds as well then? I Tony started getting me uh, gigs, and then it very quickly had to stop. You know because it wasn't going down well. Yeah, I was doing like Miss Money Pennies and Cream, and um, it wasn't going down well. There's a there's a lot of backlash, and Tony was like. you know, I, what type of backlash? Just haters, you know, yeah. understandably, you know, there have been a lot of local guys who've been applying their fucking craft for years and years. And then here comes this little Irish twat, like, yeah. you know, supposedly sucking on Tony's cock yeah. or whatever, getting these gigs. I mean, I understand it, you know, Fair. at the t- even at the time I understood it because Tony explained to me yeah. why I needed to understand it. And I said, this is, this is going to stop because... It's not going to do you any favors. Mm. Like if I keep doing this, like the promoters are, yes, they're going to keep booking you, but it's not, it's not going to, yeah, it's not going to work. So that I, I actually did get a real job. I got a real job for six months, mm. and I was packing nuts and bolts, and I was getting like uh, sixty pound a week in my fucking bed set. I left Tony's house at this yeah. point as well. I was living yep. in a bed set, it's forty pound a fucking week. So fucking twenty pound a week to myself, and. um them times were hard. Like it wasn't even yeah, electric in the bed set. You know, there was nothing like that. So great time growing up. You know, it was um, it was a big learning curve. And um, but it was essentially, you know, Tony was a lot older than me. He knew, he knew what had to happen. I I had already been DJing quite a lot of years 
from before I went to England, but it was a new scene for me. Yeah. So, you know, I almost had to earn my, my stripes, Yeah. you know, and, um, yeah, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing. And then, um, I did start getting gigs on my own, you know, I wasn't in the main room, I was doing the back rooms and stuff like that. And, um, the next, the next big gig Tony did give me was Gatecrasher at Republic. Yeah. And he fucking didn't even tell me about it. We were in Gatecrasher at Republic and, um, Tony was playing uh, four till six and he had to be in London for, um, his set of trade. Fuck me. The last 30 minutes, he came up to me and goes, you're playing the last half an hour. I've saved you all the best records. <laughs> and I fucking had a wee pile of records for me. I'm fucking like, holy fuck. Couldn't believe it. How so was, I had to go on and that was, it was the best ever gig I had at the Republic. I was going to say, how was that? Oh, incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Because there was no one to, there was no expectation, you know, and it was just like, I was just this kid and it was the best gig I ever had at the Republic. I never really went down that well at the Republic, you know, gate crasher. Mm. It was more of a trans crowd, you know. Um, one a funny story I'll tell you, actually, it just comes to mind. <laughs> when Tony, <laughs> so Sunday Central, you remember Sunday Central? No, I don't. I don't. Oh, Sunday Central in Birmingham was the most hedonistic kind of Sunday party. And okay must have been the world at that time it was like there would be people walking around with basketball nets and just dressed up as all sorts of things this guy always used to brought a it was he used to bring a toilet into the fucking <laughs> nightclub it was and just used to sit on it on the dance floor and it was like and there was this group of people that came and brought these sleeping bags and if they didn't like a dj they would get in a sleeping bag on the dance floor and just fucking go to sleep to sleep I'm not even going to mention the DJ. They've done it too continually. <laughs> but, um, why are the DJ still around? <laughs> still around to this day. Yeah. Oh, still around to this day. Yeah. Very famous guy as well. Um, um, but this other time, I, they asked me to play at Sunday Central. Mm. It's my first time. And, um, the lineup was me, Tony DeVee, and John Kelly. Yeah. So I'm like, fucking brilliant. And I'm going on and I'm fucking banging that arse clean out of it. Like, and were, you, were you playing hard house then? Not only was I playing hard house then, this is fucking hilarious. And it's a testament to how big Tony's heart was. What? Go on. I was playing all Tony's records before he went on. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was, for me, it was a sign of respect. I'm yeah. like, Tony, that I'm playing always. And he never once said to me, Ferg, what are you doing, man? <laughs> At 16. Like, he's like, he never once said to me, what are you doing? And I'm just like, puppy eyes, like, fucking, yeah, 99 for elevators, yeah. I love that. And I'm playing all these songs, and um. So excited to finish because I'm going to get like, I want to get off my head, take a couple of pills and yeah. just fucking get clean all that. Tony comes in and fucking, oh, good job, blah, 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 blah. Straight on the dance floor, straight in front of the DJ booth, couple of pills on me, off my fucking head, fucking loving it, blah, blah, blah. Tony calls me into the DJ booth a couple of hours later. I'm fucking. <laughs> and it's loud as fuck in there and I go into the DJ booth and he says something to me. 
And I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. But for some reason, I thought he said to me, look at this fucking DJ booth. He's pointing, you know, at the where all the records and stuff are. Mm. And I'm thinking, saying, look at this here, you know, fucking tidy up. You fucking look at the mess you've left from when you were playing. So I'm fucking off my head. I go up to the bar and I get this bar, you know, a, a, a bar mat, yeah, yeah. like tile, yeah, bar tile. Yeah, yeah. And I fucking put some water on it and I'm cleaning the DJ booth and I'm taking all the glasses and bottles and I'm taking them out the DJ booth. <laughs> now, emptying, the, emptying the ashtray and all that. Absolutely wasted. Tony turns down the monitors and goes, what the fuck are you doing? I said, you told me to, you told me to clean the DJ booth. He said, no, I told you, get your records out. You're all next. John Kelly's cancelled. I'm like, oh, oh shit. Machen, mate. Machen. I, I could they introduced me, they tell everybody that the fucking John Kelly wasn't going to be here. And I'm stood there with the promoter and I'm fucking still a guy there. And he grabs my hand to put my hand in the air and my chin's like... <laughs> it was unbelievable, me. It was one of the best gigs. And, and I remember every record I put on, I had to fucking bend down like behind the DJ booth just to no pose way. myself. Like, it was just... I love that. It was... <laughs> Could you, ma- could you imagine doing that now? Mad times. And that's that's like, you know, going back to that point you touched on about the emotion and about the business. Yeah. And at that point, there was no thinking about it as a business. No. It was you still so was- young. It was still such a young industry. Yeah. It was like... <laughs> It it was like even though you were young, but it was still so such a. It wasn't what it is today. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, and there was something super magical about it then, that it, DJs why? would get paid and you just be happy with what you got paid, yeah, and it was like, you just crack on with it. Now it's like, crack on. It's like I talk to people, you know, about it. And they look at me as if I'm talking about some mythical land that never existed. Mm. They're like, wow, you, I mean, you just, you must have really got fucked up back in the day. I'm like, yeah, I did. Everybody did. But what I'm telling you is not exaggerated. No. If anything, I, it's, it's not that I'm exaggerating anything. I actually can't even put into words how beautiful and amazing it was. I'm not over-exaggerating. I'm, I can't even, like, fathom yeah. or explain like how amazing amazing it was was. you know it's not i'm not some fabrication it's like i'm i'm dulling it if anything because i I, how do you explain that to somebody you know um but people say to me you know would if you could do it again would you i'm like no fuck that (laughs) i wouldn't i wouldn't you know you do it right the first time you're you're all good yeah you know it's like um i don't know i don't know I don't know how I'm here sometimes. Yeah. You know, 11 of my friends from 2000, the 2000 have killed themselves. 11. That's dark, man. Close friends, you know, that have been, grew up in that scene. Yeah. And lived that life and reality and then like the reality part and struggle and, and, you know, and that's like the, hard hard consequences of some of it yeah i th- i guess we all know that those p- a few people that just don't 
they take the party too seriously and Still. and it take, takes over their life like my parents they are in a drug and alcohol rehab i like i used to work for them i see it so, so every single day where it would like start with the party and, and then some something traumatic would happen and then it just spirals and it's just game over yeah it's um you know i speak to people on a if not daily you know weekly mm. you know i'm talking a lot of people off the ledge and you know, I, I kind of, through COVID, actually, I'd done all my life coaching um, courses. Um, I just got my qualification from the Amazing. ICF. Yeah, that's that's what I really was interested in going into and just having a part of my life. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of people come to me for, to talk to me about stuff. You know, yeah. I I deleted my Instagram along a good while ago and I, I rebuilt it again from just, I was like, what can I, what can I use my platform for? You know, I want to post less, but I want to connect more. Totally. On my posts, there's so many, I get, I get more comments than I do likes. Yeah. It's fucking mad. Like my stories are very truthful. They're very long, Yeah. but they connect with people and people, not only do they reply, they reply with stories mm. of their own and then they're hitting me up an inbox and I'm, I'm getting to see this other side of people and it's a beautiful thing and there's a lot of kind of uh, confusion out there, a lot of questions and I just kind of put myself in that kind of place mm. for a lot of people and um, I think that, especially through COVID and stuff like that, it's like, you know, I'm somebody that, one of the things I, I I can say, okay, I do have this history. How can I use that more than worrying about being on a flyer? Like, yeah. how can I actually use my history? Yeah. Like, what things really matter and what things don't matter so much? Like, what things used to matter to me as my, for my ego? Yeah. And what parts of my life, scars and all warts, can I use to actually be a fucking benefit? You know, Help like... People fuck the music and fuck the flyers and you know but what part of me is a benefit to actual the scene like yeah. what what can i do you know and that's been a huge thing i think there's know? something i think there's something so special for it, it in everybody though is how good it makes you feel when you help somebody mm. and you can be given all the money in the world. You can do all the things you think you wanted to do. You could achieve all the goals that you think you wanted to, or the, all the goals that you set. Yet you start actually helping a few people with no like hidden agendas. And, <sighs> and you generally just help somebody. And that feeling is better than anything. It's you're so true, mate. You know, and it's like you, like you can't, you, you just can't pay for that. Like no. money doesn't buy that shit. You know, it's like, you know, I'm sure you get it all the time. People look at what you're doing and like, fucking hell, this guy's never going to talk to me or blah, blah, blah. you connect with these yeah. people and like, it's like you just give them a fucking record deal or something. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Literally, and it's yeah. so like. And it ultimately, you know, we all get stuff from it because it's like takes us back into our youth and gives us the little reigniting that little spark from memory, from remembering of being that 
in that position. Totally. I still get it today. I still get it today. Uh, like when I when I message you, like DM you and asking asking you to come on the podcast. Like when when I speak to people that I've looked up to or I've kind of at the beginning of my career where I've seen them as like much bigger artists than me and much kind of achieved so much more than me and kind of that's where I want to be and now I'm playing the same lineups as them and now I'm friends with them and now like it's it is that thing is that we as human beings I can speak for everybody I think with here we put people on pedestals and not not in a negative way just that we look up to people I think that's what we all strive in in life and then when you become good mates with them and then you write a record with them and then you're that you're cooking dinner for them and you're like what the fuck is going on <laughs> and and I think it's very uh, for me with social media and bringing this background to social media from what you were talking about I've always responded to every single comment. I've always responded to every single DM because I know how important that is to people. And I've got so many friends that just can't be fucked. And for me, it's not even... There's there's career benefits. Of, of course there is. Responding to everyone is there's career benefits. But the more, the more out of that is that you're you might be somebody's favorite DJ. You might be somebody's favorite music producer. And the fact that they get to talk to you is literally making their day. And without sounding, without sounding egotistical and taking that, that out of it, you're giving somebody the best feeling that they would never have, have had that day. And I think there's just something super magical about that. Yeah, you're 100% right. Yeah, and what you're giving them is a realization because you're so down to earth and you're connecting with them as a normal person. They're like, fuck, we're the same. Yeah, we share the I same can, hole. I can do this. Yeah. I can fucking do this. You know what I mean? It's like, it's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. I'm sorry, man. It's my fucking. No I set my alarm um, this week because I was hoping to get up at 1130 and then <laughs> I was like, I got in at 5 a.m. I was like, fuck, I forgot. I'm like, I've got fucking well. Oh, do shit. This. Sorry, man. <laughs> no, no, no. It's good. It's like, fuck. Because we had to cancel it a couple of times yeah. and a couple of crazy weeks and stuff like that. But um, so that was my alarm. I'm sorry. It's so fucking rude. I didn't mean <laughs> Don't worry. It's all good. It's all good. I want to talk about um, the transition from UK to American scene um and kind of how that started because i i knew that you moved over here pretty early I, i've always kind of like followed what you did um from the peripheries and and kind of i knew that you came over to america and was became a vegas resident um how was that because 10 years ago was that the edm boom or was that the start of it just to start over it, yeah, yeah. before it, it was hard. Yeah, it was hard. I remember being in, like, so to paint the picture, uh, Neil Moffat, who is a guy who created Hagasan Group, who created Omni, who created White Republic, um, he was my friend 25 years. Wow. Uh, he was a guy who had, uh, had God's Kitchen. Mm. You know, I started working for him when I was 18. Um, 
I actually started, the people who owned God's Kitchen before him, I started working for them when I was 16. Yeah. And they used to have God's Kitchen in a place in Northampton called The Road Mender. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but he took it over 1998, 99. And um, I was a resident for a long time. Great friends. Um, he started coming to America with me. And I started coming to America in 1998, actually. He started coming. He's seen a huge market here that was on tapped into in Vegas. And he stayed. He was coming back forward more often and developed this whole big culture, developed bottle service. Yeah. He was the first person to do it. Wow. And um, for years, he was asking me to come. And I was on Radio One, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I'm not fucking coming over there to play that fucking shit. You crazy? Yeah. It's fucking awful. There's no way. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know what I mean? At this point in time, I'm fucking, you know, Bears playing my records, like Coxie's fucking yeah. got my label, best label three years in a row. Lauren Garnier, Slat, like I'm doing a lot of cool gigs, mm. but, you know, at that point I still had the, well, oh, we can do this, we can do this, you know, making inroads. And, but at a certain point, I just couldn't get any further and I just became really fucking tired. Mm. And um, I just couldn't, shake the hard house pinup boy yeah yeah uh, persona no matter how hard it's fucking tried well you did it good you did you did the hard house pinup persona guy good (laughs) 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 you were that man i couldn't have fucking paid to be on any more magazines like one of the only people ever to be on mix my cover fucking twice yeah i was on Fuck it, I was in the fucking back pages of the game magazines as well, boys. <laughs> fucking got the cops out, and then there's a picture of me. That's fucking one of them up there. Like, I, so anyway, um, what happened was I tried really hard to really get into the the heart, the the techno world. Yeah. Kind of what happened at that time, what even let me play some techno was. The techno that was around, I started playing like your Valentino Canzianis, Recycle Loops, uh, your Umeg stuff, yeah. Marco Biele. Um, that stuff wasn't a million miles away from the BPM of the trance. Yeah. Right. So I was able to go and play it and inside out. I was able to go and play it in God's Kitchen. I was playing it in Scream and Bristol. Yeah. Like I was playing at the fire station. I was playing a lot of techno there. Right. Mm. And what happened was when the, that techno and I was playing that on Radio One, all the techno guys fucking hated it. Like Ben Sims fucking hated me, Dave Clark fucking they all fucking hated me. But they would still come on and do my radio show. Yeah. But I knew they hated me, like, and it was fine. You know, I remember I even talked to Dave now. He came on at my Radio One show and on purpose on his last track he played, he blew the fucking monitors up in the studio. He just fucking blew them up on purpose. Like, I was like, wow, that's, I was like, I just like, that's so cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but these guys, they all fucking hate it. They, they didn't hate me as a, a person, I guess. They just didn't, they didn't like, I was the Antichrist. The hard, yeah. You can't go from Hard House and the techno world. That's not happening, no. especially them. Mm. No one done what I done them. I downed my fucking tolls and Ibiza, I got all the records out of my record box and said, I'm not playing that Hard House ever again. And that's what happened. And that was a 10-year-long journey of trying to break into the techno world. And it was hard as fuck. Because yeah. at one point, yeah. nobody wanted me. Mm. And so I was playing the techno in the kind of God's Kitchens and the Slinkies and the uh, Scream and Bristol and stuff like that. 
But what happened was I was on the techno train and because the techno I was playing became overground, let's use that word, yeah. all the other techno guys like Bear, they started making more minimal techno. Mm. And it got really plinkety-plunkety. And I just kept going following my techno vibe that I yeah. wanted. Yeah. But the techno that they started making no longer fit it in the main rooms that I was doing then. Yeah. And I'm going playing headlining at God's Kitchen Global Gathering and I'm playing like 124 BPM and they're like, what the fuck's this? Yeah, they're like, you are fucking shit. Yeah. You're shit. Like, you're not playing here again. You just fucked that all up. And back. And everybody hated me. Like, techno people hated me. Fucking all the other clubs hated me. Like, it was just a, a spiral. Like, I went in the DJ Mag Top 100, number eight. Every year, I think I fell 10 or 20 places <laughs> after that. And it was like, it was a beautiful thing. I remember my mum calling me. I... She was like, you're not in the top 100 anymore. And I was like, thank fuck. Yeah. To me, that was the end of my hard house life. Yeah. And I was like, okay, now I can rebuild. Mm. And, and and I was wrong because it was fucking, it just it only went to a certain level. <laughs> and to get, I'm trying to get back to your question and give a little bit of backstory of the America thing. Yeah. You know, I um, just was tired of me. You know, I yeah. started doing my first tour when I was 16. And... You know, when I was 31, I decided to move here to America. I got offered a, a contract to play EDM. I remember being in the studio with Dave Robertson. I was in the studio with Dave every week, three days a week. I was to stay with him. And I'm like, I'm moving to America. This is the music I'm going to play. He's like, don't ever play that music in my studio. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, honestly, don't fucking, he's like, He's like, if you're making that music, like, don't ask me to make that music for Like, I, it's not. It's not happening. Friends, like, but I, I was like, yeah, it's good. Like, I couldn't, I, I just wanted to listen to it and see if I could play it. <laughs> He's like, don't. So I remember going up into my bedroom and listening to it. And I was like, I was like, fuck, I don't know if I can play this music. Yeah. I don't know if I can play this music. And my the only thing I could get around my head was I found this style in the EDM world that was called Melbourne Bounce. Yeah. And it was like hard house. Yeah, it's exactly the same as hard house. Yes, it was offbeat baseline. I was like, okay, that I can do. Yeah. I can connect to that on some level. And I remember coming over here and I was looking at everybody that was coming to the club. And something I mentioned to you earlier, I had to transport myself back in time and look at people and go, okay, I am now uh, a DJ. I am now someone that is trying to be, look at and understand crowd psychology. What can I, what can I do to make this work for me as a DJ? What, what's the positives here? The positives were, trying to um, emerge myself in this new scene, trying to understand what these young people wanted to listen to, you know, trying to understand um, there's maybe four or five different types of people in the room yeah. that maybe like hip hop, that there's older big spenders that want to hear E stuff. There's people that want to hear EDM, you know, there's people that will come up to you and say, have you got some techno? And I'm like, well, I've got fucking loads of techno <laughs> and uh, not understanding that what they think techno is and what I think techno is yeah, yeah, yeah. two yeah, totally yeah. different things. Exactly. 
Um, so for me, it was like, how can I make, how can I make this work? Mm. Like, how can I make this work and really become uh, egoless? And I'm talking about me, I'm not talking about any other DJs. How can I become an egoless DJ? How can I be there for the room yeah. completely? How can I play Bon Jovi, It's My Life? Or how can I play House of Pain, Jump Around? How can I, you know what I mean? How can I play Melbourne Bars? How can I play Avicii? How can I play all this stuff? You know, uh, DMX up in here. And, you know, how can I put this all together? Because I, I don't really like this music. Um, I can connect with it on a level yeah. because there's a vibe going on in the room. But for me as a very emotional person, uh, it was hard for me and still is hard for me because the music for me would, I'd feel it in my belly, it would go through my heart and the music would make me put my hands in the air. Mm. You know, but that changed and I had to tell myself, okay, one, two, three. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, it's not that I'm trying to be disrespectful to the scene. I'm trying to be really honest and be like, how can I be the best DJ for these people? How can I be a good representation of what a good DJ is, no matter what the music is? How can I be the best DJ within all these genres? And how can I make it work? I don't want to stand up there and be and suck ass, be a fucking terrible DJ. I want to be a good DJ. I want to be able to master that. And, you know, this is a situation I put myself in and I want to, I want to be great at it, you know, and, and it was, it was hard, you know, being on the microphone, you know, directing the club and um, really feeling like a fish out of water. And I've been here 10 years now, you know, and, and my anxiety levels, through that whole time or through the roof mate. Yeah. You know, man. there was times when I was driving to work and I just wanted to crash my car into a fucking wall. Yeah. Not because I wanted to die, but because I wanted fucking time off. Mm. But I became so not greedy, but I was like taking more work, more work. I was doing like 50 gigs when I first came. 2019, like I said, I was fucking contract was 340 something gigs. It's a lot. It's a lot. You know, playing that music that I'm not connecting with in my soul, but I'm being so present for everybody in there. And it's hard. Like I had to yeah. stop listening to techno for all them years. My saving grace was when I met my wife, she got me into uh classic rock mm. and that's what I listened to. And I researched the fuck out of it. I loved it. Yeah. I was like, because I couldn't listen to techno in the week, then go and play EDM at the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't drive to work, listen to techno and go and play. It was fucking wrecking my head. Mm. So I just had to be all in, all into it. I had to take any fucking techno off my USBs, like, um, wow. And I just had to be all in. And people, I was getting the, you know, in all the Facebooks, like, Ferg, what are you doing? You totally sold out. And they were giving me all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. For the first time in my life, I've, I took a job. It's, yeah. a, it's his job. Uh, yeah. But that I'll was that was the thing that was going on in my head was that what we were talking about with having a real job that's doing 225 shows a year that's that's a real job it's a job yeah it was, it was a job and it was a job it was like i learned more about dj being in vegas than i've learned anywhere i bet you know there's something to be said for 
go into the techno party and playing techno. Okay, what are you going to play? I'm going to play techno. Okay, great. Um, I'm not saying it's easier or it's harder. I'm just saying it's different. Going into nightclub in Vegas, you know, you got somebody coming up going, um, um, we're going to spend $100,000 if you fucking play, uh, what's the theme song to Rocky? Yeah. Survivor. Yeah. um, And you got to play it. I'm like, fuck me, how the fuck am I going to put that on? You know, and it's like half the people in the club are grassroots EDM people. They're so into this EDM that they think I'm really on code because I'm fucking putting on it's the eye of the tiger. It's like, what is this guy doing? And I'm like, I'm saying to myself, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) And it's like, it's a constant head fuck, you know, and it's, it's, you're constantly trying to figure it out. And it's been, it's been fucking one of the hardest things I've done. Mm. One of the hardest things I've done. And, um, but it's one of the, you know, I've come out the other side of it and I've, I've, I've a different perspective on life, Early. of a different perspective on DJing, yeah. of a different yeah. appreciation for DJing. You know, um, I'm going get to do gigs of fucking playing with Damien Lazarus. I'm fucking doing Rufus the Soul and um, who, me is, who I'm fucking Saturday night. Monday I'm playing with fucking Gordo and Dubfire. Um, obviously, a pipe of Coxie on Sunday night. And I'm getting to do all these things. If you had said to me that this would have been possible, I know right? I was like, not a chance. Yeah, not a chance. It's never happened. No one is doing all them different styles at that level. It's mad, me. Yeah, it's mad. It's, it's and go on, carry on. Just to say that it's mad, and I don't expect everybody to get it. I find it hard getting it. If you don't get it, it's cool. It's fine. You know, I'm a person. You're a person. I'm trying to figure this all out as I go along. And I'm first and foremost, I'm a DJ. Um, and I'm trying to be the best DJ I can be for wherever I play. Trying to understand all these different styles of music. Like I will on a Thursday night play open format then on friday night i'm playing black coffee and i'm playing beautiful 120 bpm afro house which is like the most earthy organic fucking emotional music i've ever played in my Mm. fucking life like and going from that when you're really connecting from the fucking bottom of your fucking soul to these people in the nightclub, to them playing on a Saturday night when you're taking your soul out of it and you're being present for them. Yeah. It's a minefield. It's a, uh, an it's, emotional... It's really interesting because it's... You're being a classic resident DJ. Yeah. Which used to... It used to be a thing years ago. And it stopped for a long time. And it still isn't there, but I feel like what you're describing, you are being kind of the classic resident DJ where the resident DJ doesn't, it's, it is about the people and it's about creating a, a atmosphere for the people so that they have the best time and whether that's creating an atmosphere for the people, for them 
somebody else to come on and play after or it's for you to kind of keep the people in the club or yep. whether it's for you to think business-minded for the club is like well we're in vegas we need people to spend money in here and we kind of we're without sounding disrespectful we can be a bit of a jukebox for them because if somebody's offering us a hundred thousand dollars then we're gonna fucking take it that's what it is yeah it's it's exactly it's you are being a jukebox and i don't mind the term i like the term people get all busted up in vegas uh, no requests let me tell you this here if somebody wants to come, if they fucking really want to hear a song and uh, and it's going to make their night and I can fit in them, I say, I'll play it. Yeah. Why wouldn't I? You know, if someone give me a fucking list, if they went around the club and give me a list of fucking 20 songs and 20 people would absolutely beg to play, I'd fucking play them. Yeah. Of course I, of course I would. You know, it's one of the biggest hurdles that I had to get over was being kind of egoless and being like, I'm being employed by the club to not, I don't have to bring people into the club. No, I don't have to. My job, that is not my job. My job is to keep the people in the club. Mm. You know, it's like my job is to set it up for, if I'm playing for, whether it's Calvin, whether it's Black Coffee, whether it's Demi Lazarus, whoever it is, my job is to keep them in there. You know what I mean? Obviously I headline here as well, and it's the same the same thing, but it depends what you know music what I'm playing. Is. Like I played at uh, Encore Beach Club on Wednesday night, and um, I fucking played techno all night. That's what they booked me to play. They're like yeah. for you know, like so. Just the point. I, I'm doing two different names. Like when I first came to America, I went under the name Rob Gasson to play a lot of the EDM stuff because I didn't know if I was going to be able to stay. Because yeah. like, I don't know like fucking starting this music. Yeah, no. yeah. So I done that for a while and then. When I stayed, I just was like, I'll just do everything as Fergie. And then last year, um, I was actually going to give up DJing. And my wife was like, why don't you just play music that you love? And I was like, fuck, I never thought of that. Because I've been yeah, in this yeah. game here for 10 yeah. years. And I made Alpha Centauri, and then I just started making music again. And um, I was like, okay, well, I'll keep Fergie for kind of more techno stuff and do the other thing again. And that's where I'm at. But it's like, it's a constant kind of, Fergie kind of evolution mm. and if you look at like you said at the start list when we first started talking it's a, definitely not the normal route no, not anybody. it's the absolute opposite I don't think there's anybody that's done been on the same journey that mine has been mm. and the hardest part has kind of been being able to accept myself yeah you know, because well, you're the person that has to look at yourself in the mirror every day, and and there's nobody else. You can you can walk away from a club, you can walk away from everything, like you, but you still have to be able to sit with yourself and look at yourself in the mirror and go, "This is who I am." Yeah, it's like uh, if I do, if I no matter what set I play, mm. like whether it's open format, whether it's EDM, or it's you know fucking. Uh, techno or it's afro or whatever if it's the set is either amazing or it's it's not that's what it's for me like either really connected or didn't you know like i very very critical about the delivery yeah you know like people say well vegas you just play all the hits 
Okay, yeah, it's a large part of it, but no club you're ever going to be to is going to keep their no. fucking hands in the air all fucking night. So how do you maintain that? How do you play the hits but not tire people out? And how do you not burn the fucking DJ before? Because there's yeah, can be yeah. a lot of crossover stuff. You know, it's 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 a it's a um it's the fucking hardest DJ job I've had. Mm. You know, um, and people are like, hey, you know, have you ever played in a beta? <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I, like you're really good you know and, and when i first came over here you know people were saying stuff we got and i, I always had the bit had you know had the ego and mm. i remember i was playing on uh the terrace yeah uh nightclub called pure i'm playing like fucking housey stuff like all defected stuff at mm. that point i still was trying to not let go of playing some good music and um, I was playing all that, and um, a guy came up to me and goes, um, "Yeah, you're really good. Have you ever heard of Tiesto?" I was like, uh, "I was like, did Tiesto used to fucking be my opener DJ?" He's like, "Wow, man, what went wrong?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, from, from that moment on, I was like, "I'm never fucking mentioning the past." <laughs> <laughs> because he was fucking right he was so right uh, and he just and he didn't even mean to be a smart ass he wasn't right. being a smart ass just complete honesty mm. what went wrong I was like fuck me <laughs> <laughs> well at least uh, you can laugh about it because I don't actually think anything went wrong I think I'm a, I'm a true believer that we make our own paths and we end up where we're at at some point in our life for some reason. And I think what you've created, you have been one of the driving forces of, of music in Vegas now. And you have allowed many people to have the best time of their lives in Vegas. And you've also, in your Fergie hard house years and techno years, you also did that as well. So I think in the grand scheme of things, you've fucking smashed it. Well, you know, you know, to be able to, you know, play the music that you love and, and understand it's not for everybody and, and everybody has their, they're, they're like I say, their image of what suits their brand. Yeah, I'm no longer offended if, they, if, if my brand doesn't suit their brand. I understand the path I've taken. I understand the gigs that I've taken. I cannot be offended that they're a fan. You know what I mean? They're offended. Like it's so, mm. like if it doesn't fit their brand, it doesn't fit their brand. Totally. It's the same way of someone I'm playing EDM and they say, can you play dub fire track? And I don't think it's going to work. It's going to, you know what I mean? I'm not going to, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so if, if I, if what I'm doing doesn't suit everybody and I'm not going to, you know, get on all these, uh, you're not going to be seeing me on all these fucking Uber cool flyers and stuff. And sometimes I have to take a, back seat and just do the gig and not be on there and that's fine by Take me. For the team yeah yeah i guess the no. thing that also with with vegas is how house music 
or electronic music has kind of become fashionable over the years and how it's evolved from EDM to now Black Coffee's has a residency or I think Jamie had a residency at some point over yeah. there. And he's here Saturday and Corolla's here on Saturday, you know, exactly. and it's seeing that evolution, which I've been a part of. Yeah. I've been lucky to be a part of it. You know, I've been lucky, you know, even if it's like, you know, the club at the end of the night, they would say to me, Ferg, um, you know, after the headliner, they'd be like, okay, we want to get, we want to, we want to close up, play some of your old shit that you yeah. used to make. <laughs> I really like. <laughs> They're like, yeah, put some of that on. That's such a that's such a classic bar club manager kind of vibe that they just don't yeah, have like, fucking you know, clue. Some boring techno shit you used to make. Yeah, that'll yeah, that'll clear it out pretty quick. Boring I'm techno like, shit. Yeah, and that, and that would be the only time I get to play it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm loving it, you know. But the 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 one of the biggest changes, Calvin. Yeah, Calvin was smashing out the techno, man. Mm. He was just like fucking playing hard as fuck. Yeah. But he was doing he was doing it in a cool way. He was on a lot of the mashups, you know what I mean? A lot of he has to play his hits. Of course, of course he, he does. does. But he was playing some fucking really cool fucking shit. And it was before he started doing the love regenerator stuff. Yeah. But Alvin really, you know, he he was he brought a lot of fucking he brought a lot of cool music here, you know. The interesting with that was all the girls were staying, like yeah. all the girls were staying on the podiums and dancing to it. And I would just, even when I was working, I'd go and just listen to him. And he was like, Do you think they like it? I was like, Fucking right, man. Fucking yeah. I'm the fuck right of it. So he was going for it, you know. So he was a big part in it because uh, these people were guided by, as we all were, as you know, the DJ. And if it takes someone to be able to stand up and play totally. stuff like that, right. so and he did. He did, and you know we've seen the growth of, um, you know the more kind of, say underground stuff here. You know we've had MK here, we have the Camelfat guys, Peggy Go. We've had everybody Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Everybody's coming through here now, you know, and it's brilliant. And I'm very fortunate that I get to be have a little small piece of it, and I can do my job that my uh my residencies I'm very proud of. I take a lot of fucking pride and I spend a lot of time doing my music and yeah. getting my sets ready. And then I get to have my little moment where I play um, what I'm fucking so passionate yeah. and is a part of my fucking life. Mm. Massively. You know, it's like, uh, it's just, you just can't fucking put it into words. It's like, you know, talking about social media again, you know, it's been a huge part being able to explain myself. Yeah. You know, when I was doing interviews back in the day, the only information that came out about when I changed music was what the journalists wrote. But now I'm able to talk people through it. I'm able to speak to people and people get it. They're like, do you know what? Fucking go for it for it, man. You know, you know, it's like, um, this, this is, this is why I love doing, doing the podcast as well, because there's so much like you and I would never have spoken about this if we hung out like there'd be there'd be stories there'd be a few things kicking about but we generally just talk about this general shit right we wouldn't have ever have spoken about everything that we've spoken about today and by us speaking about this today other people can hear that and be like fuck 
It's you know, it's it's like you know, I have to appreciate as well. You know, um, when people are annoyed, it's because they're so passionate about their scene. Yeah, and I yeah. can't take that away from them either. I can't say you're a fucking cock for saying I'm a cock. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you're saying it because you're so defensive about. I love techno. This is my heart. This is my soul. Good. I'm glad you feel that way about yeah. it. I'm glad you feel that way about it. Happy days. I don't fit into your thing and that's fine. You mm. know what I mean? But good on you. Stick up for what you fucking believe. Like, totally. You know, that's what gives us our scene. 100%. It's, authentic. You know I mean? it's, it's being authentic to yourself and who you are and the people around you. And I think as long as you 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 allow other people to have their opinions then and you're you're allowed to i think closed mindedness is pretty dangerous to a certain extent when it comes to anything especially when even when it comes to music like one of my friends sent me a record like yesterday and i knew i was going to dislike it a lot <laughs> i'd already told myself i was going to dislike it but i still listened to it and was like yeah i understand why you like this it's still shit but I understand. <laughs> I'm the same, mate. I'm the same. Yeah. You know, I'm the same, and I expect the same from from everybody else. People, I send stuff to. I will. It's trying to get people's attention though when they're sending the music now is fucking hard as fuck. That's. I think that this is where the this is where it's changed a lot, and I've noticed this in the last five years for me, um, and especially over COVID not everyone's DJing mm. and there's not as many people DJing at all. Although it looks like all the DJs are back. There's so many DJs that aren't back and the way the scenes changed with streaming as well. I oh, feel man. like there's a lot more like, like even with me, I will only play records that I've even made or, my close mates send me and I'm like, I fucking love this record. I very rarely go and hunt for music. I very, because I just find it so degrading to myself because I, it's so hard to find music that I really like. Mm. Um, just the way there's so, I know, and I, that's very naive of me to say, because there's very, there's insane music out there that I know I'm not getting my hands on. Um, but I, I've just kind of just made my world a bit smaller and maybe I should kind of open up a little bit, but for me, it's just like, it works. And I feel like there's a lot of people that have done the same. Like I was having a conversation with my label team last yesterday and we were talking about how, can you remember like for years, it always mattered what DJs responded on your promos, right? Or it was always like a big thing. That's now it means fuck all now. Mm. It means fuck all. What really matters is if you've got a video of a DJ playing it. Because mm. then you can tell people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just changed. And I, I, I don't, again, I don't think it's changed in a negative way. It's just different. 
I think we're talking about what the you were saying with the streaming thing. One of the biggest things noticing is that I think in a way people are not searching for artists yeah. as much as they were. Like they're having these playlists created and they're listening to these playlists. And if they like a playlist, that yeah. means that the playlist is being updated and they don't have to search for music yeah. that they like because they just search for the name of a playlist. Yeah. And they don't have to go and go any further than the playlist because mm-hmm. they trust that playlist, whether it's chill vibes or whatever it may be. And that's all they're interested in knowing. And, you know, when we were growing up, first of all, we knew that every artist that we were playing, yeah. um, every record was in your collection. Mm. And now there's so much stuff now. Like I have to do playlists in my record box or it gives me anxiety yeah. because there's so much yeah. stuff you can Same. play. I need to put that into some sort of order. I'm like, fuck me. Yeah. You know Lim- what I mean? Lim- like- limitations for me, limitations create the best creativity. And mm. it goes back to vinyl days for me. And I still dj almost how i would on vinyl i'm very like a visual person so i don't remember tracks by their name or artists i remember tracks by the artwork and Mm. it's one of the reasons i have i always travel with all my music my usb stick has I, i i dj off a hard drive and it has pretty much all my music from up from 2014 to now it has everything on um and the limitations that I set myself, though, is I might get some record. I might go into a rec- go to a club with like five new records, and that's it. And everything else is either going to be records that that's not released from friends, or my own records that are released or aren't released. And that's how I, for me, as as a DJ, kind of make a bit more of a unique set for everybody because a lot of these records they've never heard before and they're probably never going to get released so it means that they can only come and see me play it your sets you know your sounds unique to you anyway for sure nobody really making stuff but i guess also going back to that streaming thing can you remember when we used to buy records in vinyl shops and then you'd build like a relationship with your with the like vinyl seller and <laughs> yeah. they were almost like the spotify playlist makers yeah, where you'd walk so in I, and they'd like they'd pull under the desk and be like oh, i've got like 20 records for you and it's like and then they talk you through it it's just it's just changed and yeah. but i think the amazing thing I, there's a lot of things about streaming that i really dislike and it really grinds my gears on a daily basis and it's it's frustrating as fuck. But it has opened the world to our music tenfolds. Yeah, it's honestly, you know, there's a lot of positives for it and there's a lot of stuff you have to kind of, you know, grit your teeth. Yeah. And, uh, but being able to, you know, being able to, strip everything back to you know the foundation of what you do on all these instances you know whether it's getting your name on the flyer okay well why do you want your name on the flyer what what, what were you doing before your name was on the flyer yeah. well i was just eating in my bedroom okay do that you yeah. know with regard to streaming okay cut away all the bullshit what are you getting from a streaming i'm getting to get 
I'm getting my music into the years of yeah. mine. And just having to reassess and ask different questions because this world that we're in now is, we've not asked ourselves these questions in many ways. You know, it's a new world. You know, it's it's such a many different, so many different ways to look at stuff. And um, I think if we keep kind of evolving and, and asking ourselves different questions and yeah. trying to be honest with ourselves and, you know, keep it interesting and find new ways to fucking not only survive but thrive and 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 yeah yeah man i agree i think we've just done an hour and 50 minutes that's an hour and 50 yeah (laughs) it's just flown by man i feel like we could keep going for hours um mate thank you so much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure to sit down and kind of listen to what you've achieved over the years is, is pretty amazing um how before we go how can people follow you how can people kind of be part of fergie life um firstly thank you for having me on man i absolutely love uh the podcast is the realest one there is like i don't even read kind of many interviews or stuff like that anymore like i kind of you know, so I get my information mm. here. It's kind of raw and parts and real. Carnage was prime example of that. That's a good one. Great one. Um, how can people follow me? Yeah, Fergie DJ, fucking Instagram. Um, all the info info's up there. Sick. I get them post loads. Have Facebook. You any, have you got any music coming out? Um, I have got a new track coming out in May called testify on our mind um nice yeah um i've actually done a remix of do you remember igor s boomerang yes i do yeah big big fergie track back in the day i've done a mix of that i've done a mix of uh storm time to burn i've done that a lot more of on the tech gear side than the yeah the big room stuff that i've been doing and um yeah i'll probably make some afro stuff ne- next just to see what that black coffee shit <laughs> i love it i love it. absolutely love it. I, love it I tell you what i've been listening to is the ramper and, and me album stuff like that's so good it's driving music for me i i don't know if i can really play it i can't play it in i can play it in my sets and i'm I'm playing in Miami next week and I'm actually opening opening and then closing. So it's like I get to like the opening set I'm gonna get to play it play it. But it's like so nice to listen to. That's so good. Absolutely. You should listen to a guy called Sippy from Sippy. Barcelona. Okay. He's insane. Just it's like just so emotive music but intense but really serious but really cool and just fucking I need to check that out I need to check that out dude thank you for coming on man big love really appreciate it man so good to talk to you yeah man I'm in Vegas in May so hopefully we can yeah Yeah, hopefully hopefully we can catch up Um, happy days come, come and party I don't know if it's not been announced yet, but 
with it's like a pre EDC party. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'll be hundred percent. Be great to. Um, I'd really actually like you to come here and cook for me. <laughs> I'd, happily, I'd happily do that. Yeah, my wife cooks. I, I'm so spoiled. Um, she'll cook uh, like something new every lunch, something new every night time. Like I'm so fucking spoiled. Man. Can you cook? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I made her a fucking cheese and ham toasty once. <laughs> Classy. She's a lucky girl. Yep, there you go. Mate, keep safe. Uh, keep in touch. And thank you, man. Thank you so much. Peace, All right, man. See you in a bit. And that is a wrap. Thank you for listening. Big love to Fergie for coming on. Please subscribe. Send it to your mates. Give us some comments below. Let me know what you think. Um, keep safe. See you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.